A reading from the book of John. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. For those of you who don't know that, is Cecil Far the Fourth, our seminary intern for this year. And of course, you know, the Farr family has a long history with Peachtree Christian Church. Make sure you greet him today and get to know him a little bit. Herb, Mr. Buffington, I'm going to miss you very much and your talent. I'm going to miss your friendship. I want everyone just to give him a debt of gratitude with a round of applause. Thank you to Reverend Dr. Wartman for filling in on short notice last week. Many of you have heard, and thank you for those of you who reached out, that we had a COVID scare in our home. My, my father did come home positive with COVID. Uh, no one else in the family got it. We're all negative. Um, he uh, has immunocompromised situation, so we think that's how the breakthrough got, got to him. But the doctors tell us that the vaccine is the reason why he fared well through it. And so I, I don't mean to make anybody upset, but I appeal to you as your pastor. If you're not vaccinated, consider getting vaccinated. We're all in this together. Take care of yourself and take care of one another. This thing is still going, and we still want to make sure we're protecting ourselves and those that we know in the community and love. Amen? Amen. Let us join our hearts together in prayer, and before we do, I want you to exhale all the air out of your lungs so that when you breathe in next, you'll breathe in the breath of God. Go ahead and exhale. Breathe in the breath of God. And Creator God, we're thankful for the gift that you have given us of this life. We confess that we're not always faithful with that gift, but we believe that you sent your Son Christ to reconcile us into yourself for those times when we walk away from you. We believe that he's at work in us, cultivating a desire for your kingdom ways, 
And we believe also that you've sent your spirit to make us a community of care. Send your Holy Spirit freshly in this place and to anywhere, anywhere anyone can hear my voice. For you and I know that without you I can do nothing. We pray that your spirit illuminates truths for our minds and hearts. That gives us new breath to breathe. Be with those who are sick. We lift up our loved ones, the brothers and sisters of this church who are suffering. And we ask a very special touch upon them now. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Christ our Savior, that we pray and God's people say together, Amen. When my brother graduated college, he spent the first few months living with my wife and I before he was to take his new job. We worked out every day, we watched movies, we did a lot of brotherly bonding. I didn't realize how close it would make me feel to him. He was a part of our young adult ministry at our church. We had about 50 or 80 so young adults come to my house every Sunday night, and that's where he met Shauna, his now wife, both of them deacons here at this church. And they would go out to our community garden and garden with us as we grew tons of food to give away at the, that congregation. It was always annoying when they worked together because they got very little work done and a whole lot of flirting took place. The day came for him to drive an hour and a half away to his new job and his new home. And we met Shauna that day at the garden just to try to help heal some of that initial pain. I didn't realize that I would have a lot of pain too. There's this show that I really like and grew up watching and it had a musical episode and the final song was called, Where Do We Go From Here? And quite literally put that CD in my car and put it on repeat and just felt like singing that song thinking about my brother no longer living with us. Where do we go from here? That is a question that I believe we ask a lot when life gets hard, when it gets confusing, or maybe when significant change takes place. The disciples of Jesus Christ were confused. Some were so confused at his teaching that they literally just walked away. Think about what Jesus had been saying to all of them. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's all very cannibalistic and vampiric, isn't it? And then it's almost like Jesus becomes a late night pitch man. But wait, there's more. If you eat my flesh, and if you drink my blood, then you will have eternal life. If I'm so bold this morning, I'd like to criticize Jesus. He's not a very good salesperson. Never have I ever read anywhere in the Gospels and thought, Jesus is a great salesperson. I used to be a salesperson. People who know me always think I'd be a really good salesperson, and maybe it exists somewhere on the inside of me, but I had a sales job selling furniture when I was in seminary. And if I didn't have a desire to be righteous before, when you're in seminary, you tend to. You take these pesky little courses on theology and ethics in the New Testament. And that really got in the way of my salesmanship, I can tell you. I sat there on the leather sofa with the rest of the salespeople, and I remember one day reading this book by N.T. Wright. It's a big tome called Jesus and the Victory of God. It's not something most furniture salespeople read when they're waiting for business. And I heard the door open because the little bell jingled at the front, and it was my up. That's what we called it. 
My up was my turn, and as long as the people came in the door were in the store, they were mine. So I went to go warmly greet this family, and they asked for something really, really particular. I knew we didn't have it. I knew we couldn't order it. But I knew that I had seen it at another store over the weekend, and it was on sale. And so I thought to myself, just tell them the truth. We don't have it. We can't get it. But you know who does have it? And I told them where they could go. I didn't do the good salesperson job of trying to convince them to buy something that we had. They looked really confused. They turned around, and they walked out the door. Just like so many of Jesus' disciples, eat my flesh, drink my blood, they turned around and walked away. But his closest followers, the 12, they stick around even though they don't exactly get it either. They don't have the hindsight that you and I have, that this is all a reflection on Eucharist, about solidarity with God, with one another, about being filled by the divine life. They don't get the hindsight that you and I get from reading the text. There they are being told things that boggle the imagination. And so Jesus basically says to them too, you guys going to leave as well? Their answer is all too human. Where else are we going to go? Yes, they think he has something special to teach them, something special to offer them. They don't understand it yet, but they're still drawn to Christ nonetheless. They're still confused by it, but there's something alluring to Christ. This strikes me as the heart of true religious faith or true spirituality. You see, so much of our spirituality goes like this. So much of what we call faith goes like this. Somebody is presented with a message of how we're broken and God wants to heal us through the work of Jesus. But we have to make a choice. Follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus. And so those who decide to follow get on the path and they begin their training. Some people call it catechism or Christian education. Some just use the word discipleship, but it's training for how to follow the pathway of Christ. And then church tends to become a comfort blanket to those where you better not change things because everything that we do in church, the methods of the ministry, not necessarily the mission, they become comforting symbols to the idea that we've been saved. And so we hold on to them like cozy, warm blankets. But what happens? What happens when hardship and adversity and pain knock on your doorstep? What happens to faith when doubts rise in the darkness of the night and you have a dark night of the soul? What happens when you get that security blanket and you're singing that contemporary hymn by that band, you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? Well, one response is to simply leave it and walk away. I knew a guy. His family life was wrecked and cracked and broken, and he had wounds in his soul for it. Later in life, he was presented the healing message of Christ, and he accepted it. And then he even accepted Christ-like work to do in the world for a time. He did ministry. Over time, he amassed the things that age gives you in life, family, work to do, and 
I think he had a moment of doubt and he decided to make a spreadsheet of how his life was before he found faith in Christ and how it was after. And he compared and he decided that his life was really no better being a believer. And just like that, he threw it away. What happens when hardship, adversity, and pain enter into your faith journey? Some people might walk away. Others double down. In religious speak, we might call them legalistic. It's rather strict. It's like a, a screw that's been screwed too tightly into the wood, and the screw is now stripped. It won't ever come out again. Rigid. I knew another fellow. His life was in shambles from moral failure. A church community came around him and, and, and gave him the space to recover and to heal and to rebuild. And he got comfortable, real comfortable with the, the faith construct that he built for himself. He had mixed in his own political points of view with his understanding of the gospel and, he, and, and his sociological points of view and the people that he would worship with. And he got real comfortable and he started feeling like he was really righteous. One day I overheard him getting coffee with another brother in the church. You see, a lot of new folks had been coming to the congregation at that time and they didn't look the part. They had a different background. Their emotional, spiritual scars were evident for the eyes to see. And I heard him say, we don't need people like that here. We need people like us. Sometimes when the adversities and the confusions of life come in our faith, we double down and get strict. There's all kinds of ways we respond. I'll even confess to you that I have moments of fantasy. It's romantization. When life gets hard, sometimes I've given myself into thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could run off and join a monastery? Simply rid myself of the, all the evils of the modern world and hide myself away in prayer and simplicity. But that wasn't a calling for me. So the desire is simply escapism. What do you do when the real world comes calling? and pushes you around in your faith. Well, let's not get too far along down that road. Let's not forget our favorite pitch man, Jesus Christ. You know, I have it on good authority that he actually never said, believe in me and you'll never doubt. Christ is never recorded saying, believe in me and all the hardships you can imagine are going to be taken away. You can disregard the health and wealth preaching that you've heard on television. Nowhere does Jesus ever say, Bad stuff's not going to happen. Jesus never promised us a life that doesn't look like real life. In fact, Christ tells his followers, you are going to suffer. He asks his followers to take up their cross and to follow him. He tells them they need to lay down their lives and die to themselves. This is a hard thing to desire, isn't it? Friends, what I am saying is that we do not simply need to die to ourselves in an individualistic fashion, but it's also our faith and the constructs of religion that we've built up in our mind. Those need to die too. 
because the world's going to come and pick them apart sometimes. Sometimes news is going to hit you and it's going to rattle and they sometimes need to fall down so that they can be rebuilt and ever renewed by true intimacy with Christ. There are many hard teachings that Jesus offers. The disciples say in this passage, this is a hard teaching. There are many hard sayings. There are many difficult realities that we all face, and there are pains that we have faced, are facing, and will face. We're all facing something right now. We're still in a global pandemic, and as I understand it from my doctor friends in the congregation, it's the worst than it's ever been. And I've looked at the news like you. Our society doesn't seem any healthier than it was 18 months ago either. Some people have health scares, and and you know them because you are in communion with these people. Some people are having health scares, and you don't know them because people sometimes suffer in silence. There have been lost loved ones, and there will be lost loved ones. We don't get out of here alive. The injustices are too many to count. The planet's warming. I can go on and on, and so could you. What do you do? When the hardships press in on your faith, what do you do when you're confused about the world and Christ's role within it? Well, one thing we've done is we've come to church this morning, and we're going to gather at the foot of Jesus. We're going to sit around his holy table to be fed on his body and his blood. And we can either respond by being offended and appalled and walk away or we can respond in faith. We can respond in faith and say to Christ in our heart, even when we don't get it, even when it's harder than anyone can bear to imagine, even when we're not at our best, we can say to Christ, where else are we going to go?